Merhabalar Açık Radyo 95.0 Gürültü ve Duman yine karşınızdayız. Geçen hafta Cecil Taylor ile ilgili konuşmaya başlamıştık ve 1962 yılındayız. En son Albert Taylor ile birlikte olan kaydını verdik. Robert da aramıza katıldı. Şevket ve Can buyurun. Merhaba. <gülüyor> ben Şevket Akıntı merhaba. Merhaba ben Can Tutu. Robert merhaba. welcome. Thank you. Welcome Robert. Okay, so we came to the recording of Nefertiti. But if you have something to add, please go on. No, Nefertiti sounds good. Looking forward to that. No, let's listen to it. Then okay, let's John, listen which, to Robert. Which piece do you, would you like to listen to? I guess D-Trat, that's what. Also, oh. they are playing some standards in this recording. For example, what's new? But I choose D-Trat, that's what. Because when I was... 15 or 16 years old. This song is first Cecil Taylor recordings I listened. And it's inspirational for me. Okay, so we are listening to D-Trad That's What from Cecil Taylor uh, playing the piano, Jimmy Lyons playing the alto saxophone, and Sonny Murray is playing the drums. Thank <laughs> you. 
Cecil Taylor'ı Nefertiti, The Beautiful One Has Come, Live at the Cafe Montmartre'da dinledik. Copenhagen'daki bir e, kulüp bu. D-Thread, That's What parçasını dinledik. Jimmy Lyons alto saksafon çaldı, Sonny Murray davul çaldı ve Cecil Taylor piyanodaydı. So, please Robert. <gülüyor> Your personal experience. Because you hung out with him. Uh, in New yeah. York, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I was really lucky. I took two workshops with Cecil, and the first one was in Woodstock, New York. And at that at that workshop, Sonny Murray came, and he hadn't played with Cecil in some years. And Diane McIntyre danced. It was really magical. And then I also did a workshop with him in New York around 2002. But Cecil sort of holds court after after his gigs or like during the breaks of his gigs, you know, he goes to the dressing room and chain smokes and throngs of people come to <laughs> chat with him. And he's uh, so over time, you get to hear some of the stories a number of times. But it's kind of surprising about the way he talks about popular music and mainstream jazz singers. He's a real fan and lover of artists that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. As we mentioned in the previous show, Paul Desmond, Lena Horne, and of course, Billie Holiday. And I remember one time, I mean, he, he, he also likes to go dancing, like to go dancing in nightclubs. So that was in New York in the 1980s. So the music in, in the dance clubs at that time was... Uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson, I Madonna. I was a little no, bit more... Surprisingly, I have a, I have a thing that uh, we remember, uh, Robert, when we were in Germany, in um, Dusseldorf, we, we met um, with Evan Parker and he op- at his hotel and he opened his laptop and he was listening to pop. Right, there's this fascination of free improvising, improvisers listening to pop. So that was one little anecdote. Yeah, and Evan <laughs> <laughs> Parker listening to Stevie Wonder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and when I first met Cecil, um, <laughs> he, he was still living on Chambers Street, which is pretty near the World Trade Center, but he had this apartment. In a, in a building that didn't have any buzzers in it. So when I went to visit him, he would I would have to like call him on the telephone and he would throw his key out the window so that I could get into the building. <laughs> so I mean, he, he was not wealthy really until the 1980s, you know, still struggling financially in the 1970s. I think Something that might be surprising to some listeners is his composition process and and how he thinks about his his compositions. So in the workshop, he divided us into instrumental groups. So all the saxophones were one group, all the drummers another group, all the guitarists another group. There's always millions of guitarists. 
and all the bass players, another group. And he would go around to each group and dictate his composition. <laughs> but so the parts were, were different. And yet somehow he just had an incredible memory for these melodies that were constantly being created in his mind. So for the saxophones, he came and he would say like, C up to F sharp, down to B flat. And he would just call out note names and say which direction, whether it was up or down. And it would fill an entire page of these melodies that he was just telling us notes with no rhythms whatsoever. And then he would have us play like each person one at a time would play some some phrase it wouldn't we wouldn't play the whole thing but just a phrase and each of us of course would put our own rhythmic interpretation on it so like anthony braxton he didn't use graphic scores did, did he use or no? well i mean they well they were only graphic in the sense that it was it was a page full of note names yeah i think there might be some reproduced somewhere. I'm not sure. There's been a couple small publications of poetry and scores, but they're extremely rare and hard to come by. But in fact, Marco Anadi, I think he published one of his scores on one of his CDs. So Marco Anadi performed a Cecil Taylor composition on one of his albums, and he includes a little picture of one of the scores of Cecil in that. But it's just a page with notes. But the amazing thing, when I did the second workshop with Cecil in New York City, it was a huge group. It was like 30, 30 musicians. And he was rehearsing the entire group as a group. And he would have us play these melodies. And it was just phenomenal. Like, he, it was, it's a whole page of notes. So it might be like 200 notes on the page. And he would know where we were in the melody just by listening to us. I mean, like a 200 note melody, but he knew exactly <laughs> what note was gonna come next in that. It was just phenomenal. Uh, how was the conduction that he was, he was telling you guys uh, as a group? I mean, while playing the music, was he also playing with you or conducting? Uh, you mentioned about the 30 players. Yeah. In, in the New York workshop, he did not play with us for most of it, but he actually, there was kind of a rebellion among the musicians <laughs> because he, he would get angry sometimes at the way we were interpreting the music. But a lot of it was the way that he communicated it to us. So after there was sort of an argument between him and us students, and then the next day he brought in photocopies of the score for us. So we were all actually reading his handwritten notes. Okay, that's amazing. Can I quote something by Cecil Taylor just on the subject? Yeah. He says that the inexperience of, of some of the players is a virtue rather than a drawback. There are fewer things to unlearn. My approach to the members of the band which is similar to the kind of approach I use in the class that I teach, black music from 1920 to the present, that was his class, constitutes a fundamental attack against the whole structure of the way music is given to people. 
and also against how our parents taught us and what they thought was necessary and important to teach us. All of us intuitively knew the things young people now know today, but we would not implement our intuitions because of the way we were thought, taught. This is why people drop out of school. I don't, tell, I don't tell people in the band how to play. I just tell them, play. Then by doing it, they begin to see how to play. I've dispensed with the idea of teaching notes as such. I play for them and they write down what they want to. We have someone in the band who has been playing only seven months. I confront him with possibilities around the one note he can play with ease and have him see how that one note relates to a living musical structure. This is from Joe Morris's Perpetual Frontier book. It's a great book. Properties of Free Music. Okay, we continue with another standard in Nefertiti, but uh, I couldn't uh, remember. What's new? What's new? Yes, yes, what's new? Is it? Okay. So what's we're new? listening to Nefertiti, the Beautiful, has come uh, live uh, at the Cafe March. Jimmy Lyons playing the alto saxophone, Sonny Murray playing the drums, and Cecil Taylor is playing the piano from the date 23rd of November 1962.
Cecil Taylor piyano çaldı, Jimmy Lines alto saksafon çaldı ve Sonny Murray double çaldılar. Nefertiti The Beautiful Has Come albümünden Live at the Cafe Montmartre, What's New dinledik. 1962, 23 Kasım tarihinden. Okay, we have Robert Riggle with us and we will continue. Well, this album is a classic in not just in free jazz, I think, but in the, in the jazz world. It's taken a long time for these like uh, live recordings, for these recordings to reappear on CD. But many newcomers to free jazz may wonder why this is so important, why the, it caused such fascinations, because the drawbacks were numerous. Yeah, the original recording was never very effective, actually. Ta- Taylor seemed to be playing one of the poorest pianos in Copenhagen. Murray's, Sonny Murray's drums sound thin and rattly a lot of the time. Nevertheless, these sessions somehow from the Café Montmartre should be accounted, I think, among the greatest live recordings in, in jazz, not in free jazz. So it overcomes all these defects. The music overcomes all these defects, I think. These are one of the few rare instances where the poor quality of the recording is not an issue. What do you think about that, the, the music in this album? I would like to listen from you guys uh, about the, why it is important so that in the history of jazz, this album. Because uh, the performance is moody and at these times absolutely fierce zigzagging across provocative uh, post-pop and true furious avant-garde <laughs> impressionism they have. Some songs like Trance, What's New, Detrat, That's What's, or Call, show those transitions with, with a little more clarity. But on rampages like Lena or the song Nefertiti, the free expression of ideas is pushed relentlessly. Jim Lyons, I guess one of the, one of the great uh, improvisers in history, Jim Lyons, and also underrated person, you know, Cecil Taylor's also. Jim Lyons does an admirable job on saxophone, keeping up the, with the stylistic rushes of intensity. But main forces coming from the piano and drums, which make enormous waves of sound, whether playing with Lyons or pairing off as a duet. Sunny Mary doesn't have a quiet power of Max Roach or Evan Jones with Coltrane, but He's as fast and furious as anyone. He's not tied down in a commitment to swing. He almost sounds like a hyperactive rock drummer with Cecil Taylor. Uh, but his ideas also feeding Cecil Taylor. I listened to that recording maybe a hundred times and I can say it. Yeah, thank you. With all these musicians are still making, are working their way out of the jazz tradition. And that's why they, the, the group interaction is so great, because I think in this recording, in this concert, they feel they're uh, on something new. That's great. I mean, I think maybe the only other thing I would mention is, is again, going back to Sonny Murray. I mean, this is this is one of the monuments where drumming is really freed in in a new way from timekeeping. I don't know, John, if you agree with me or not, but it, it seems to me that this is a real milestone where the freedom 
is explored in a fuller way than had been done before. Well, the, the thing about this group is that they are playing from a long time. So they had the opportunity to discover what's underneath what they're playing, to, to go to the beyond of the melodies, to harmonies, to the rhythm. Both uh, Jimmy Lyons and Sandy Murray found that opportunity because in the States, before coming to Europe, they couldn't find the time and place to play with. However, in the Europe, they found such opportunity to extend what they were doing musically. And I would mention another thing, um, his title, Nefertiti. I mean, Cecil was a very well-read and well-rounded intellectual. And the 1960s, this is sort of, you know, civil rights are happening in the United States. Really big changes starting in 1954 with Brown versus Board of Education, then 1955 with the murder of Emmett Till, and then the refusing to give up a seat on a bus and leading to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And this is a time when African cosmology was being written about by anthropologists. And so you had uh, this book about the Dogon people called wow. Conversations with Ogo Temeli. And this was a very influential book in the 1960s because it sort of, it argued that black civilizations had very advanced philosophy and even science. And some people argued that this book proved that they were astronomers and that they knew these star constellations. That was later found to be false, that <laughs> the anthropologists had made gigantic errors. But this book, Conversations with Ogotemeli, was a real, it was embraced by the Black American community as, as a way to legitimize and honor Black intellectual history. And Cecil was very well read. And he had, when I was hanging out with Cecil, I remember one day he had come back from San Francisco and he was so delighted because he had found a rare edition of a book called Anacalypsis which was written in the early 1800s. And it's a gigantic compendium of, it's a sort of a cosmology combining science, history, language, philosophy, literature. The guy that wrote it spoke like 10 languages. And it, it's this, it's kind of a fantastic, I don't know, cosmology trying to join together religion and science. And Cecil found this lavish, expensive new edition of that book and he was so thrilled to get it and uh, so anyway it, i was reminded of that because of the title of this album nefertiti you know cecil was aware of all the the way that america was trying to deal with the racism that was causing so much trouble in in the country that was all those blacks are you know facing with in the United States. It was just polished after the Second World War because of the Cold War situation. States wanted to show that it's a free country and the situation was not like this because of the racism that was going on. So jazz music was used as a cultural weapon to the world. However, again, the jazz music was not being practiced in the States as it was shown to be. Again, the racism was at the peak level. 
and coming to the fridge as musicians, it was very much hard. We talked about the club owners and how they were making the music go through. So they did not only hard places for those musicians, however, they also wanted how the music should be. So this was one of the main problems of the uh, free jazz musicians were facing, uh, taking into consideration not only the racism, but also the exploiting of themselves by the white club owners and record company owners, uh, so in a sense, in the States. John, you will leave. I have to show you guys. What was your suggestion about listening from Nefertiti to the Beautiful Has Come album? I will select Call. Okay, thank you very much. See you next week, John. Görüşmek üzere, hoşçakalın. So we're listening to Jimmy Lyons and Sonny Murray and Cecil Taylor from the date 23rd of November 1962 from the album Nefertiti the Beautiful Has Come live at the Cafe Montmartre. Thank you.
Cecil Taylor piyano çaldı. Jimmy Lyons alto saksafon ve Sonny Murray davul çaldılar. Nefertiti The Beautiful Has Come Live at the Cafe Montmartre'dan dinledik. Copenhagen'da yapılmış bir kayıt. 23 Kasım 1962'den Cole adlı parçayı dinledik. Bu haftalık bu kadar. Robert again thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you uh, and good night to our listeners. Uh, we will uh, continue on the next week. Uh, so see you next week again. Uh, ben Volkan Terzoğlu. Hoşçakalın. Hoşçakalın. Ben Şevket Akıncı.